Okay, this morning uh, we'll be reading some passages from Genesis 1 and 2. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was an empty waste with darkness over the face of the deep and God's breath sweeping over the face of the water. But God said light and light came into being. God saw that light was good and God separated light and darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning, day one. God said, let us make human beings in our image as our likeness so that they can reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the heavens, the cattle, all the earth and all the things that move on the earth. So God created human beings in his image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, be numerous, fill the earth and master it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the heavens and every creature that moves on the earth. And God said, now I give you every tree with fruit that bears seed. These will be your food. To all the creatures of the earth, to all the birds in the heavens and to all the things that move on the earth that have living breath in them, I give all the green plants as food. So it came to be. God saw all that he had made and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth were finished with all their forces. When Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens, Yahweh God shaped a human person with dirt from the ground and blew into its nostrils living breath. And the human person became a living being. Yahweh God planted a garden in Eden in the east and put there the human being he had shaped. Thanks, Maddie. Thank you. I think a couple of our families are taking the multiply thing a bit too seriously. I was going to say how well we're doing. Oh, well done, well done. Oh, okay. It's exciting. That was fun. Thanks for being part of that today. Um, I recognise that some of our guests today might not be used to kind of a church gathering and people preaching and people leading dedications and that kind of thing. What are we up here for? And we're probably not doing it in a usual way for them. Sorry about that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's two of us up here today and together uh, we're going to uh, do what we would normally call the sermon um, in the church, in the church service, uh, and we're going to have a conversation together. Yeah, so we did this last week, if you were here, uh, and one of the things we like about this, we're not pretending that we're going to start doing it every week, but that it reminds us that we believe in having conversation. Um, I think you, you talked about this last week, we have a conversation with God and we have a conversation with each other, and as we come to the Bible, um, it's not just, what did you say? black ink on a white page. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but it's a story that invites us in and stories need to be talked about and wrestled with and, you know, questions asked about them. And so we're trying to, I guess, model something or, or practice something that we found really helpful in our own thinking um, as we learn more about God's word and seek to understand it. Makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we get to have conversations all the time. Melinda and I work together, obviously, here at the church on team, but also uh, in another role in our denominational office. And so we're often having conversations. We uh, also have conversations that include Sophie as part of the pastoral team and others. Uh, and we find that often when we're talking, some really rich and helpful questions and answers come out uh, that don't always come out when we prepare a sermon. Uh, so we probably thought we'd try some, it again today. Yeah, probably some things come out when we're talking that are not so helpful, but we'll try and avoid those today. We'll try and help filter yeah, each other today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially this series. So we started a new series last week. We're looking at the whole Bible. And so how do you actually talk about the whole Bible in six weeks? Um, we're doing this series of looking at um, the big picture, the big story that God has invited us into. So last week we did a bit of an overview of how it kind of works in six different acts and today we're looking at the first one of those. Um, and we're also, yeah, so we're, we're trying to um, 
help me out here. <laughs> we, we are uh, looking at it as, I guess, the introduction. Um, like we tell any good story, we want to set the scene of where we are and who we are and who matters in this story uh, so that we can then go forward to where it's heading. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, we can tell a story that really helps us understand uh, where humans fit in the story, where we fit in the story, uh, and hopefully tell the Bible story in a way that uh, isn't maybe jump in here and jump out there we're in a way that we've often heard, the biblical story heard before. Um, but today we're just going to be spending some time in the first part of the story, and we want to recognize that if you want to hear the rest of the story, have to come back. you'll have to come back. Uh, so there might be some unanswered questions today as well. We can't say everything as much as Melinda and I would like to. And we can um, fit a lot of words into a short amount of time if we really try hard. <laughs> we could talk faster. That's one way of doing it. Um, yeah, so uh, we're really excited about this series. Um, we've done a series like this before, but this is a series with a different lens where we're kind of unpacking what it means to be kingdom people, what it means to be Jesus' kingdom people. So today Maddie read to us from the first two chapters of the Bible, um, which really do set the scene and introduce us to the story, and that's where we want to sit in. But I guess as we start there, we recognise as kind of an elephant in the room, maybe, when you talk about the first two chapters of Genesis, that those parts of the Bible have been used and read in different ways, um, maybe helpfully and unhelpfully. Yeah. And so, well, start maybe with some questions. I don't know. A number of us maybe have grown up in the church. Maybe we've been to Sunday school. Maybe we've grown up in different churches uh, where the Bible story has been told in just little pockets, independent of other parts of the story. Uh, and also been told in a way that um, pushes through an agenda, maybe where the wrong questions have been asked, maybe where unhelpful emphasis have been made, maybe where some really helpful emphasis and questions have been asked. Um, but our hope today is to uh, unpack the first couple of question, uh, chapters of the story of the Bible that help us to maybe think about uh, a more generous framework of understanding how the beginning of the story begins. But um, Melinda, I reckon you might have one or two things to say on this. Uh, Melinda teaches on some of this. In the next couple of minutes, I'm going to referee how long we let her go, but I'm going to ask her a question. Melina, can you help us understand a little bit of what it means that the Bible is a story? Yeah, so I think um, we talk about reading the Bible well or interpreting it, um, that the, the framework or the, the image of story is really helpful because the Bible is not just, like we said, words on a page, um, but this living word is how it talks about it and we want to take seriously what God says about the Bible and what the Bible says about itself and we want to read it on its own terms and so I think Genesis 1 and 2 is a really good example because when you come to that sometimes people have tried to read it as if it is say a modern science textbook and it's not um, but on the other hand sometimes people have tried to read it as if it's just some ancient myth and some fantasy um, and it's not that either so how do we kind of read it well and read it on its own terms. And so the first thing we would talk about if I was teaching my class would be what kind of writing is it? Um, and I think the framework of story is really helpful. Now we have to get over the idea that stories are just for kids um, because that's sometimes how we hear that word story. We actually all live our lives in terms of stories. We tell, if someone introduces themselves to you and says, tell me a bit about yourself, you don't give them a list of facts, you tell them some of your story. Uh, so we live in stories and we love stories. And so thinking of God's word as the big story is a really helpful framework um, that maybe helps us from over-reading it or under-reading it. I think story really brings to life uh, what we understand as well. I think there's a way that perhaps I've grown up with where stories like this one that we're beginning with were told in more dot-point fashion, where we tried to draw out really clear facts 
Uh, and I'm not sure that's what this was meant to do, these stories were meant to do. Is there a better way to look at these chapters? Yeah, I think so. So the other thing would be to ask about the context, like who it was written by and who it was written to, and what they were trying to achieve. What was the effect that the writer of this story was trying to achieve? Um, and so the phrase that I would use is, too often people have read these chapters as if the goal is to figure out when and how this happened. Um, and that might be an interesting question, but I don't think there's an answer, or not an obvious one. But if we look at it in its context, this was written to people a long time ago who lived in a very different world, who spoke a very different language to us, who saw the world differently to us. And so it was spoken in a way that would make sense to them and that would invite them into the story. And I would say if you read it that way, what you realise is the main questions these chapters are seeking to answer is who and why. Who is this story about? Who's the main character? What is this God like who is the creator of the whole world um, but has invited us into relationship with himself? And why? What's, it, what's the purpose and the point of all creation and of living in that as human beings? And I think if we look at the text in that way, then that actually leaves room for us to have some different understandings of how things began, the origin stories, uh, and a little bit more room um, to maybe wrestle with science and what science can teach with us. The Bible is not opposed to science. Uh, I have a science and engineering background, so I hope the Bible is not too opposed to science. But that, what that means is I think that we can sit in different places in this story uh, and be okay with holding slightly different views on what that means. Uh, inside the church, we would use language like being six-day creationists or holding to evolution theory or a whole bunch of um, positions in between. And I think if we understand the story as being about who and why, we realise that the answer to those other questions isn't the main point and that there's room for us to wrestle with and learn from uh, what we're learning in the world around us. Yeah, and what we really want to hold to is that there is a God uh, who has made all that there is and has invited us to participate and be co-creators of all that is. And that's kind of what we want to unpack today. Yeah, let's go there. But, well, the other thing I think we're doing this series that maybe you can tell us a bit about is uh, I teach this stuff and looking at maybe from a very logical and explanatory framework. Um, but we've also been really encouraged by thinking about it in a different way. Yeah, so uh, our guests won't know this, but I'm married to Sarah, who's an artist. Uh, and so I've been in training for uh, at least the past 15 years while we've been married. Uh, on how to appreciate art. When I first started, very dismissive uh, and now really appreciative uh, of the story that art can tell us and the invitation of art to see things in a different way. Uh, and so I'm really thankful for that. And so in this series, um, last week we were introduced to a set of paintings. David, maybe we can throw that nine. image up. Um, nine paintings um, that capture the story of the Bible uh, by an Indigenous artist. Who is it? Her name is Clarice Paulson Nampijimpa. I hope I'm saying that right. She's a Walpuri artist uh, from Yundamu. Uh, and these paintings were done for the Baptist Church in Yundamu, I think about 25 years ago. Um, and I was up there a few years ago and saw them and just found it really resonated. I'm not uh, an artist in any way, shape or form. I was like, oh, this is the same story, um, but told in a culturally appropriate way, but also told in a way that draws out nuances and highlights things that I probably haven't sat in and reflected on because it's art. Yeah, <laughs> it's taken me a while to learn. Uh, what I really love about these paintings too is it's both art, but also indigenous art. So we're being invited in to experience a different kind of medium to help us understand the story, but also really helpfully being invited to hear uh, a lens of the stories, a story, a way of capturing the story from First Nations people. So um, we're going to use the first couple of paintings, the, yeah, second, the second and, and third. third. So they're very small in that, but we'll show you bigger the, the second and third. And we want to. So we'll jump to on the them. second one. Um, and uh, this painting is titled "God Made People from the Ground," 
so in this series of paintings, the artist has kind of used two paintings to illustrate um, the creation story or the origin story. Which I really like because it reflects the fact that in the Bible there are actually two stories. There's Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, which tell the same story in slightly different slightly ways. Slightly different ways, yeah. So it's kind of reflecting uh, the way that the Bible works. Um, and so obviously you can see in this painting in uh, really big white kind of circles represents God. Uh, that's the three persons of God. Um, and what we kind of recognize as we read the story uh, is that we kind of see God front and center. Um, we also recognize that as we hear the story that that emphasizes for us that there is a creator and therefore we are a creation. Um, I think that's really, really powerful. Um, one of my favorite stories is of Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, uh, footballers or in Australian terms, soccer players, uh, two of the world's best. Don't worry, I'll explain what soccer is later. And they were having a conversation, and Cristiano once explained that, he, uh, that God had sent him to the world uh, to show people the beautiful sport of football. Uh, and um, the interviewer asked Lionel, who was sitting next to him, what do you think of that? And he said, I don't remember sending him. <laughs> uh, I really love that story in this context, because it illustrates sometimes how central we think we are to the story. Now, maybe not in football terms, maybe we're not world greats, but very often the story begins to revolve around us. And the creation story beginning with God, I think really firmly puts us in our place, uh, which is really exciting. What do you want to add to that? So maybe briefly for those who aren't super familiar with Indigenous art, which I wasn't till I met this artist, um, the shape of the, the ones on the right, the black ones, that U shape represents a person. Uh, in this Walpuri art, we're looking down with a bird's eye view and I was told that's the shape your bum makes when you sit on the ground, so that's why it represents a person. Um, <laughs> and therefore God is the three persons in one. Um, but yeah, I love this, this painting um, and what it really captures from Genesis 1 is that God has created all that is. So you have the animals rep and the stars representing you know, the, the bigness of the universe, the animals representing maybe the smallness of what we see every day. Um, you have the Kulaman representing community and that God has created us to be in community. And then you have people kind of, if you, if you go the way from left to right as I'm kind of going. Um, but I guess I want to unpack what, it, like, what does it mean for us to see ourselves as people who have a creator, um, to, to see ourselves as created, maybe? That's a good question. Um, I think for me, it helps place my feet on the ground. Uh, we might say it grounds us, we're grounded because of it. Uh, in, in, a, in a sense, often, and we see this in the trajectory of humanity, of human history, very often we try and set off on a, on a story of being something far more than we are, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but this idea that we have a creator really helps us land our feet. It recognizes that I'm fairly ordinary, uh, that life has to be lived with limits. Uh, many people here, this would be their experience too, but I have a, a chronic illness. That's my daily reminder as I inject myself with insulin, that I'm very ordinary, that there are limits to my humanity. So even though I might aspire and imagine uh, the way I might want to live my life or what I could achieve in life, every day I'm reminded. And I think the creation story invites us into uh, understanding that we very firmly have our feet on the ground. What else do you want to add to yeah, that? Yeah, I absolutely love that idea of limits. I was just talking to someone this week about the fact that we have to sleep. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes you think, wouldn't it be nice if we just didn't need to sleep because I could get so much more done in my week? But the way that God has created us and the rhythm that's built into it is we are not the creator, we are not in charge. And I love the idea that every night when I go to sleep, someone else has to hold the world together. 
Duh. But too often during the day, I can pretend to myself or act as if I'm the one who has to hold my world together, as I've got to have my hands on it. Uh, and going to sleep, I have to let that go. And so I think it's a great reminder that I am not in charge um, and that someone I have to trust that there is a creator, that there is someone else who's going to hold the world um, and who is holding the world. So, yeah, maybe it helps me not get above myself and think of myself more highly than I ought. We both need that. I think maybe we're not alone <laughs> in the room. Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing I think that, that both these, this artwork, given that it's Indigenous art, but also this story really invites us to do is understand our connection with land. Uh, that's language that First Nations people use all of the time, and it, sometimes it can be ha hard for us to understand, those of us who haven't grown up with First Nations culture or aren't First Nations people ourselves. Um, and so the creation story, though, invites us to understand that in some ways, because we're created beings, we are connected, connected together, as created beings, connected with other created beings like animals and fish and birds and things like that, um, but also with the land. Do you want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I think that's, um, I found it really helpful listening to Indigenous brothers and sisters, but it, it reflects again what I think is there in the Bible. It's in the story from the very beginning. It's just maybe our culture that we've gotten away from it. Um, that in the Old Testament, the idea of land is so important. The garden in the beginning, but then the building uh, of cities and the giving of a particular place for people to, to be grounded and to live out their faith is a really important thread throughout the whole Bible um, that I know that I kind of missed um, for a long time because it's not part of my experience. Um, and so, yeah, again, I like this reminder that um, this is part of God's story, that God has created us to be in a, like in a place, the earth, I think the other thing I'd say is if you're thinking of the Bible as the big story of God that kind of explains and invites us uh, to live out of it, the story takes place here. It is a grounded story. And sometimes people have assumed or maybe even told the story of God as if it's a story that takes place somewhere else. Mm. It's like a heavenly spiritual story that has nothing to do with my day-to-day -day life, um, you know, with my relationships, with my job, with kind of just the stuff, the ordinary stuff of being a parent, of changing nappies, of, you know, conversations with people on the street. But this... Um, this way of thinking about it reminds me that this whole story actually takes place here and now. And in fact, when we get to the end of the story, the goal of the story actually culminates in the renewal of all things, in the renewal of the earth. It's not an other story. Mm. It's a grounded us here and now in a place story. And the end of that story is this beautiful picture of a garden city. Yeah. And so there's this aspiration, this imagination, this yearning for a garden in the future. Uh, and I think it's part of our story, isn't it? And many of us, I think, would say that we're drawn to places of beauty, places of connecting with the land. Is that just certainly true for me? I've cried in a forest before because of this sense of um, uh, being connected in some way. And I found that a really unusual experience, but it helps me to imagine this connection um, that we have. But don't you feel drawn to um, maybe it's the countryside, the outback, maybe bushwalking? For a lot of us, it's the beach because it's accessible, we find ourselves connected there. What about for you, Melinda? Yeah, I love the beach and I love the stars. So it's, it's, it's interesting, there's that really grounded, earthy connectedness, but for me, there's something about lying on the, uh, and looking up at the stars. I have to get out of the city to do that. <laughs> but, um, and just seeing them, and it, again, makes me realise that I'm not the centre of the universe, that the universe is huge and that it's big, uh, and then I'm caught up in this, this much bigger story. So I think that's like the other end of it. There's the really grounded practical and then there's the really big lifting my eyes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. Um, so I, I think if we, if we had to capture the first part of this story in a, in a couple of words, I guess, uh, it would be that it invites us to experience awe at our Creator, and we experience that 
with space and with the ocean and just the sense of being really small. And I think that adds, what else does that add to it? What's the other word we would use? Uh, yeah, I think I would talk about humility. It's actually yeah. quite humbling to think of yourself as a creation, as created. Um, it, it, it humbles you and, as I said before, like it makes you think of yourself, uh, I think, appropriately. Like we're, not, we're not talking about making our, uh, thinking of ourselves less than we should, mm. um, but appropriately seeing ourselves as part of something. And I think it then connects to the way that you see other people as well, yeah. that you don't see yourself as more important than them because we are all created. Yeah, that's um, yeah, so awe at who God is and humility as our response in who we are. Now, part of our Richmond culture is to add practices to thinking about uh, how we live out following Jesus. Yeah, and so we have a practice um, that we want to invite you to do. So today or this week, we would love to invite you to go and stand on a beach uh, or to get out of the city and look at the stars uh, or find a great view somewhere or find wherever you have a sense of connection with creation. Yep, take your shoes off, put your feet in the water, put your feet in the dirt, whatever yep. works for you. But getting connected to creation in a way that humbles you and that inspires awe at who this God is who has created, that creator and created relationship we have with God um, is a really great practice. And I wish I would, I'm going to do it this week because I, I want to do it more often. It's mm. good for me. I want to do it more often too. I want to go camping every day. Right. That's not what I meant. Uh, <laughs> don't shake your head. <laughs> um, but I, I think... Uh, we're talking about being humbled and finding ourselves connected to land, but I also find in myself this aspiration, this imagination for more, and there's almost the tension between the two. Yeah, and that's what I think is great about both the Bible story and this series of paintings. So the great paradox uh, of the story is that, as I said before, we have these two chapters, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and I think if you read Genesis 1 well, as it's meant to be read, you get to the end of it and you cannot help but worship. You're like, God is amazing. He is powerful. He can do all things. He speaks life into being and so you find yourself humbled and in awe but then you read Genesis 2 uh, which essentially tells the same story but from a very intimate narrative point of view and you actually read about a God who breathes life into the nostrils of a human being so we see that in this next image yeah so it's a very much more intimate and relational picture and so yeah in the paintings Clarice has a second painting for creation and this one is called God made people like God so God made people from the ground and God made people like God. And what she's trying to capture is what Maddie read to us from um, Genesis. So it says that God created us in his image. That as human beings, we are created in the image of God. And the great gift of God, I think, in creation is that he chose humanity to represent him, to mirror him towards the rest of creation. And then also to be leading worshippers on behalf of all the rest of creation back towards God, to lift our voices and our praise and our imaginations. Yeah, so him. I think what you're capturing there, and if I can go a bit, again, nerdy academic and just stop you it. want me to. Yeah. Um, for many years, people throughout church history have tried to figure out like where the image of God is. So the Bible says we're created in the image of God. Like, is that our conscience? Is that our heart? Is that our soul? Like, where do we locate the image of God? Uh, and that's a very messy thing to try and do because we're whole human beings and you can't separate us out like that. And that unfortunately also led to certain wacky people saying things like, well, only men have the image of God and not women or, you know, only kings and rich people have the image of God and not poor peasants. I think the way that the story works is the image of God is about identity and it's about vocation. So identity, it's about who we are. It gives us our value and our worth to know that we are created in the image of God. But what you're talking about, that idea of mirroring or imaging, if you think of image of God as a verb rather than a noun, for you grammar nerds out there, um, but it's something that we do. We get to image God, to show God, to be like God, to reflect God to all of his creation. That's the calling and the invitation of Genesis. And I think we see it all the way through the story of the Bible, 
But especially in this beginning part of the story, we see God set this up, this idea of uh, humanity having a vocation, a purpose. We see it as God creates. He takes chaos and nothing and uh, things that are disturbed and un- at unrest and brings order and life uh, and then invites humanity to be part of that. That's vocation that you're yeah, talking about. Absolutely. You um, use the term a lot that I've stolen from you about being co-creators with God, yeah. um, which not, not that we become gods ourselves, but that God invites us to share in what he's doing as we reflect his image. Um, and I think the, the identity piece, the, the value and the worth that it gives us, I was thinking about how to best phrase this and thinking about the uh, family dedications today and you think when a baby is born and you look at a newborn child and you see that humanity, there is something sacred, mm. yes? Like we want to be humbled and recognise we're not the centre of the universe but also, um, you know, we're reminded that human life is sacred, it's valuable, it's important. Um, and I think the other end of life is where we see it as well. If you sit with someone when they're dying, uh, and you just, you know, sitting with them and waiting with them, um, there's something really sacred. Um, the question that, that brings to me and the challenge, I think, is, is all the in-between times. So it's kind of easy to see at the beginning and end of life, but if all human life is created in the image of God, if all human life is sacred, how does that change the way that I see you when I'm talking to you, the way that I relate to the random person that I have a kind of transactional interaction with um, week by week? How does it change the way we see our world when I would suggest that in our world um, we often see other people as something to be consumed? Like our whole economy is set up to see us primarily as consumers and think that what people who consume and are consumed. Um, and the image of God language in the Bible really challenges that and mm. says that every person has inherent worth and value and we should respond to them with dignity and see the, the sacredness, if I can use that word, in every single person. But that's countercultural, isn't it? Because as you've Absolutely. said, we're kind of uh, become consumers, we're formed as consumers, and so we really have to work hard at, at kind of reminding ourselves, practicing again what it means to um, see worth and identity in others uh, and even to help draw out with them and for them their sense of vocation and purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I've said this before, but C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia Chronicles, he said, you have never met a mere mortal. Hmm. It's like you have never met a mere mortal. Every human being that you have ever met is, is sacred, is made in the image of God, has this value and worth and has this calling and this vocation to be a part of God's big plan and purposes for the world. I think connected to that too and built into the creation story is this idea that uh, as humanity, we're not just created as individuals sent out on uh, uh, billions of individual quests of vocation, but actually built for relationship, to do it together. A sense of being better together, a sense of drawing out the best in each other, uh, but also we see it when we see people who are isolated and the incredible destruction that can cause in their lives, how it uh, kind of turns them into um, caricatures of themselves, like one-dimensional versions of themselves. But when we're in thriving, healthy relationships and community with people, we actually become more than we would be on our own. It draws out some of the best in us. And, and so there's a sense of community. Absolutely. So back to the Genesis 1 and 2 story, again, there's this great thread throughout the story of relationship, that humanity is created not just to be in relationship with God, but to be in relationship with one another. And in fact, it's not good for us to be alone. We need others. We need relationship in our lives. And then right throughout the whole Bible, um, we tend to read it with our modern Western individualistic lens, but God never talks about it that way. It's always God seeking to create a people a community, this uh, group, uh, if you like, a family, as we've been talking about it today, that it's not about 
sort of, you know, me having a relationship with God and you having a relationship with God and you having a relationship with God. It's about us together as a community being the people of God. Um, and that's a, a challenge, again, to our cultural way of thinking about things. And also a, a, an invitation, I think, to imagine our vocation together. Uh, what does it look like for us to be co-creators with God, not just on my own yeah. and what I think I could do and achieve, but what we could do uh, alongside God, what we're invited to be part of? Yeah. So I think that the idea of um, invitation into the story and participation and then that phrase that I'm stealing, co-creation, um, that together we are actually invited to be a part of what God is doing because the story isn't finished. This is just act one. We've got like a lot, long way to go. But we're living in this story and the story is moving forward. And as those created in God's image, we're invited to shape that and be mm. part of that and, and bring it to life. We're almost commissioned into it. And that's why we use that language this morning with the family dedications that we wanted to commission parents yeah. into the really important vocation of investing in the next generation. Yeah, I love that idea of commissioning. And it's one that's been used sometimes in the church, particularly for some roles and not others. So we tend to commission people as missionaries when they're going overseas, um, or we commission pastors. But actually the Bible would say that every follower of Jesus is commissioned. You're commissioned as a parent. You're commissioned as a neighbor. You're commissioned as an artist. You're commissioned as a teacher. You're commissioned as an engineer, whatever it is, you know, that we are sent out into the world to play our part um, in imaging God. In, in bringing beauty and flourishing and life uh, and bringing justice and hope and peace in pointing to what this God is like and what it means to be in relationship with him. Yeah, so I think this morning for us, if that's the first time you've heard this invitation, I guess we want to put it to you that you're invited to be part of God's vocation, of building something better for humanity, for this world, of reflecting back to God, his goodness, of worshipping him in life. Um, and we also want to invite all of us to participate. Uh, for some of us, we might have got into the habit of just kind of uh, going along for the ride of having a fairly kind of um, one-dimensional relationship with God and what that means. But actually, we are called to be active and participatory in God's story and his work. Uh, and then doing the co-creation alongside each other. What does it look like for us to actually get on with the job together? and to uh, maybe lift our imaginations for what could be for us in this church family, in this neighbourhood, in this city, beyond. So yeah, then we get to practising that, yeah. you know, and it's, again, it's a whole-of-life thing. We think, what does that look like for us to challenge ourselves this week, to practise that? And I, I thought, my first thought was, you know, well, we're, I'm creating the, like my, I'm creating the image of God. What does it mean to celebrate that within me? But I realise that's that very, you know, making me the centre of the story again. Um, and so what I want to really challenge you is sometime this week to, to look for the image of God in someone else and to draw it out. What would it look like to go and see whether it is your child that you're, you know, changing their nappies of a baby or whether you're teaching them to, to read um, or whether it's your husband or wife, whether it's a neighbour, whether it's a person you walk past on the street, to look in their eyes and say, this is a, a sacred being made in the image of God. How do I draw that out? How do I invite them and help them to flourish and be all that God has invited them to be? Got any thoughts on doing that? I think it takes some courage uh, and some vulnerability because we need to take the time to sit with someone and get to know them a little bit as well. Uh, but I think it's something really, really important to practice. I think we identified already how quickly we can dismiss others or use others. Yeah, I think, so I'll be really honest, talking about vulnerability. For me, the hardest people uh, to do this with, I think about 
the person serving me at the checkout in the shops because it's such a transactional relationship. I think about the people driving in their cars on the road when I'm driving in my car because it's easy to be in a bubble and treat them as competitors because somehow we're all in a race. <laughs> I don't know where we're all going. Um, but, you know, it's the people that kind of, you know, interact with now. I'm not going to stop my car and ask the person to get out and have a chat and a coffee in the middle of the street. Um, but, you know, trying to practice that idea that every human being... Um, and, and the other one that really challenges me, I live in the city, and so often when I'm walking home at night, you know, there are people um, setting up their beds for the night or asking for money, and how do I not just walk past them but also not just, like, throw some money at them, but how do I actually draw out the image of God in them, maybe have a conversation with them, maybe ask them how they're going? I know that those are some of the challenges for me. What about for you? Um, I think I find it challenging to actually create the space in my life to actually have the slow enough interactions with people where I'm not rushing past people. Um, I reckon a lot of people could relate with that sense of being full and having a lot going on and focused on what we need to do, uh, what ne needs to be done that day, and not having the space in our lives to do that. So I think the challenge for me is creating the margin in life to be able to do this really well and just slowing down my view of others enough that I've got the time to actually draw out in there meaningfully the image of God, even to notice it in the first place. So it's good. I think we've given you two really simple practices to go away from here. One is to go and find some time where you can spend in creation and in awe uh, and see yourself as created. And the other is to consider how you can see the image of God in the value and honour in someone else. We're probably coming to the time when we need to be wrapping up. There's so much more in the story of God that we would love to get into and we are getting into over the next few weeks. But I think I'd love for us just to spend a couple of minutes just as we finish up just pointing towards where we can find the best example of this idea of being uh, human, but also this idea of aspiring to more. And we, we want to jump forward to Jesus, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're going to keep going with the story for the next few weeks, but it's kind of artificial to just pretend that there's only one act of the story. So, spoiler alert, or if you're not coming back. Um, this is like the climax where this whole story is pointing towards is the coming of Jesus, where all of these threads and all of these ideas come together. Where we see uh, in Jesus this, I guess, traditional language is someone who is fully human, fully understands what it means to be grounded and created and made from, you know, the dirt and the dust, and someone who is fully God, who actually uh, not just images God like we do, but is the invisible image of God, the, the reflection of God in his fullness. So one of the challenges can be, uh, all of that sounds great, all of who I'm created to be sounds amazing, but I'd love to see an example of what this can look like. Uh, and I think Jesus is that example, where we see in the way he interacted with people, the way he engaged in life, the way he uh, gave himself away in life that actually shows us more of who God is and more of God's beautiful design and intent and the vocation that he's built all through the story of creation, all through the story of God. Yeah, and he's, Jesus is a great example of it, but more than that, he invites us into it yeah. in a completely new way. So while Genesis 1 kind of sets us up as created in the image of God, we know that the story is going to take a dark turn next week. Uh, Sophie will be talking about that. And so Jesus is the one who comes to redeem and restore and not just show us what it's like, but make it possible for us to fully live out what we were created to be. So the story centres on King Jesus, and that's why we talk about King Jesus all the time, because both he is the one that shows us the way, but he's also the one that empowers and enables us to live it out and to practice it, both individually and as a community. I'm feeling another sermon coming on, yeah, Melinda, probably. so maybe we should wrap up there. Probably. How does that sound? Let's sure. Shall up. we pray? Yeah, let's pray. 
King Jesus, we thank you that you uh, invite us into the big story of God, a story that has been being told for thousands of years, for generations, passed down from one generation to another, from parent to child, from grandparents and aunts and uncles, so that we might be a part of it too. Thank you for the Bible and the way that it um, invites us into this story and paints this picture for us of a God who is above us, who has created us in his image, who is worthy of our awe and our worship, but who also loves us so much that we're invited to be in relationship with you uh, and not only to be in relationship with you, but together as your people to be a part of what you're doing in the world of this great restoration project of bringing all things and making them all new. Uh, so thanks for this time that we've been able to spend unpacking this part of the story and we pray that as we um, go out from here that you would remind us uh, to practice what we have learned, to give it a go uh, and that as we do so that you would continue to be speaking to each one of us and speaking to us as a community and leading us forward. Mm. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for journeying with us as we try something new today or new for our community. Um, and we're going to sing again now, and then we're going to invite you guys to join us for coffee and uh, spend some time together and get some photos with our five special ladies this morning.